Hey everybody, it's Dan Borello here in the Dan and Pete Show. Peter out, moving and shaking and do whatever he does. He'll be back eventually. A few things I want to talk about today. Buffalo Bills have decided to make a move. Aaron Williams, they have signed him to a four-year contract extension worth $26 million, meaning bye-bye Jarris Bird. They decided not to franchise Jarris Bird as their free safety for a second straight season. He could have made upwards of $30 million over three years, have been the highest-paid safety at his position for that time, but he couldn't come to terms with a contract. You know, you could blame the agent, Eugene Parker. You could blame Jarris Bird. Or you could blame the Buffalo Bills. You could blame one of those three properties, and they all have – a little bit of fault here. First of all, the Buffalo Bills, we all know Jim Overdorf and Jeff Littman are douchebags when it comes to spending money. Yeah, they'll spend it on a guy like Mario Williams because they have to get asses in the seats, and that was a first. It was much like the time Ralph Wilson back in the 1970s decided to hire Chuck Knox as the head coach. He actually opened up the purse strings and decided to go out and get a well-known head coach. Chuck Knox had helped the L.A. Rams get to a Super Bowl. Ground Chuck was the saying. He was considered a big-time NFL head coach, and the Buffalo Bills went out and got a guy like Chuck Knox. The Bills did not go out and make a free agent splash when they went out and traded for guys like Rob Johnson. They didn't make a splash when they went out and grabbed Doug Flutie. They did make a little bit of a splash when they traded for Drew Bledsoe, but at that point he was considered damaged goods by the New England Patriots, and the Bills also had to sacrifice first-round draft picks, which set them back even further in the rebuilding process and then got even worse when they decided to trade another first-round draft pick for another busted quarterback named J.P. Lossman. But we're talking about money here. And the last guy you need to spend money on is a free safety. Like I said in the last podcast, free safety in football is much like first base or DH in baseball. It's the last position you want to throw a long-term commitment with a boatload of cash at because eventually your players will end up there. Much like Aaron Williams. The guy couldn't play corner, but man, he did a nice job playing safety last year. And the Bills decided, you know what, we'll save a boatload of cash by paying a guy who could do just as well playing the position. They're not going to break the bank for Jarris Bird. He clearly didn't want to cooperate. He pouted last year when he didn't get what he wanted. Wanted, which was a long-term well he didn't want the franchise tag that's what he didn't want and the Bills franchised him and he made it sound like he didn't want to be in Buffalo and it showed when he missed minicamp when he missed training camp and when he came back to town right before the opening game of the season and pouted about being slapped with a salary cap or with the uh, franchise tag rather I should say and that didn't sit well not to mention he missed five games last year the first month of last year, last season entirely with plantar fasciitis in both feet. It's kind of funny how you can come down with plantar fasciitis in both feet when you haven't freaking played in over a year. I don't know how that happens. But that's a medical issue, and I can't worry about that right now. He didn't really play at the end of the last season either. Why cause a disturbance in the locker room? Not to mention, it's kind of funny seeing Jairus Bird, a quote-unquote Christian guy who I've actually sat next to at what was called his legacy experience dinner at First Bible Baptist Church where he and his father, Marlon Bird, who had a pretty good career with the San Diego Chargers as a defensive back, talked about being a Christian role model, talked about fathers and sons, and talked about how this Christian camp they're going to put on was going to be a year-long process where you are going to end this year with a camp, a football camp with your father. And you go off... 
and talk about Christianity, and then you hit everybody with this, I don't want to play in Buffalo with the salary cap. And he never said anything bad about Buffalo, but his actions kind of showed he didn't want to be in Buffalo. He wanted to go out and get all he could, and I understand that every American should be entitled to that. But when you come back to Buffalo and you pout about things, and then the moment the Bills decide not to franchise tag you for a second straight year, you're all over ESPN talking about it. I have a little bit of a problem with that. It's a bad message you're sending. You're sending a mixed message. Go be a good Christian, but get all you can, too, while you're at it. And if you don't get your way, hold out till you do. Not exactly the Christian lifestyle you want to preach, especially to a bunch of kids, fathers and sons in particular, at a Christian camp, at a Baptist church. So, Jairus, good luck. Godspeed. Get all the money you can. Hope these kids are watching you and learning from their fathers the contradictions of role models because it happens to all of us we're all role models we're all on interview we always do something that sends a message good or bad positive or negative it may be a positive message to you may be and take it as a negative message to somebody else all you can control is what you do and Jairus Bird had control of this situation and he decided to let the situation take control of him and he didn't badmouth Buffalo but he didn't exactly put on a smiling face when it came time to report to one Bills drive last season. And the fact that they couldn't negotiate a deal tells you that there was something wrong with this situation. The Bills were able to negotiate deals with other players, but not their star free safety. Are the Bills going to miss Jarris Bird? Not if they get a pass rush in place, because I'll tell you what, the Bills have had four years of Jarris Bird, and you know what he did? He did a lot. Did it help the Bills win? No. Did it get him to a Super Bowl? No. Hell, did it get him to the playoffs? Not really. So why would you throw millions and millions and millions of dollars at a free safety unless his last name ends in Lot, Reed, Palomalu, or Christ. Exactly. You wouldn't. The Bills already made one mistake at safety with Dante Whitner selecting him ninth overall back in 2006. You don't want to make the same mistake twice. Signing Jairus Bird to a huge contract extension would be making that mistake. You don't want to do that. As far as no longer playing a game in Toronto, great. Don't play a game in Toronto. For this year, I understand what Russ, what Russ Brandon, their team CEO, is saying right now. Hey, we're going to give the eighth game back to the fans of Buffalo, the great fans of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to bring it back to Orchard Park. But if we do, you need to sell it out or else that game's going to go back to Toronto. All right. I get that. That's fair. But the game's not going back to Toronto. No, 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 no. See, here's the issue. The Bills, if they play well and sell out those eight games, they're still going to try to find a way to make money, whether it's in Toronto or elsewhere. If they don't make the playoffs, Rogers Cable is not poning up any more cash to get a game back in Toronto because they don't want it. They've seen six years of failure. They don't want another one. The Bills and Rodgers Cable mutually agreed to let the Bills keep the eighth home game in Buffalo because it's a loser. It's not a profitable venture for Rodgers Cable. The only people making money off the deal are the Buffalo Bills, but at the same time, if the players are bitching about it, Russ is going to hear about it, and if the team doesn't win, he's got to do something. So, hey, I'll bring the game back to Buffalo, but you fans better show up. Here's what he's saying. If you can't sell those games out, even though we still suck, let's hypothetically say the Bills still suck, what he's saying is, hey, 
I'm going to take a game to London next year. Don't think that hasn't crossed his mind because the Bills have already gone across the border six different times. Why wouldn't they do it any other time? You got three games every year in London now. Three NFL games. And Wembley Stadium is sold out. The Bills would be the perfect team to make that cash back next year playing in 2015, playing their, quote, home game in London because now everybody panics. Oh, my gosh, are they going to be the team to move to London? Before it was, oh, my gosh, are they going to move to Toronto? And if it's not that, it's, oh, my gosh, are the Bills going to move to Los Angeles? We all know the NFL wants to expand and perhaps even play games in London. It's a far fetch considering you have teams like Seattle having to fly 10 hours, 12 hours to get to London to play a game. Now imagine doing that on a weekly basis. Clearly they would be in the AFC or NFC, or NFC East. Clearly there would have to be some realignment involved. There's no way a London team is going to be flying two to four times a year to be playing on the West Coast or even in this mountain time zone with teams like Denver. It's not a feasible process. It doesn't work. However, the NFL will keep putting more and more home games in London if they continue to sell out. And don't think Russ Brandon hasn't floated that idea to the commissioner and say, you know what? This Toronto thing ain't working out, but I got to make my bones somehow. You know what? I'll ship a game to London. And you know what? He should. Because you made $78 million freaking dollars off the last deal to make the Bills a more viable franchise. Yeah, the money hasn't been put into the team. You can make that argument, not correctly, I should say. You've had crap coaches up until Doug Marone, and the jury's still out about him. But they did spend the money on Mario Williams. So you can't argue that they're not putting the money back into the team. You can't argue that with the $78 million they got from the Toronto deal that they haven't won anything. That's true. But here's the problem. Once you stop making that extra cash, once that money comes in, it's being spent. You rise to your new level of broke. So the Bills didn't get nearly as much money with the new Toronto deal as they did with the previous five-year Toronto deal reported $78 million. So they got less than that. Now take away another Toronto game. So now they're not getting that money. And the Bills have spent a ton of money on a guy named Mario Williams. They have to recoup money somehow because you do rise to your next level of broke. Now, they did get the taxpayers to finance a $100 million-plus project to revamp Ralph Wilson Stadium. But they still have to bring in that money that they were getting with the $78 million deal they got from Toronto before. Other teams have... Beautiful suites. They have more pricing power, like in Denver, Boston with the Patriots, New York, Washington, Seattle. They could do things. Even Detroit could do things they can't do in Buffalo. Indianapolis used to be a Buffalo-type market. Then they built a brand-new stadium, and now they're having Super Bowls there, and now players want to go there and play in those facilities, and they're going to get more cash because of it. The Bills don't have that option. They have no pricing power in Western New York to rebuild or build a new stadium, rather. So they have to revamp their old stadium, and they have to find other ways to make money. The Toronto series was the perfect way to do that. It bombed on the field, and it bombed for Rogers Cable. It didn't bomb for Ralph Wilson Jr., but now that line of cash isn't coming through. Don't think for one second if those games, all eight of them, don't sell out. And what I mean by selling out is – Selling out with the fans buying the tickets voluntarily. Not selling out like so you can watch it on television, meaning channel 
4 in Buffalo or Channel 7 in Buffalo or some sponsor like Hest Express going in and buying the rest of the tickets or Ralph Wilson ponying up with the 34-cent rule and buying the rest of those tickets. Russ Brandon's talking about the fans of Buffalo selling out and Rochester and Syracuse and Albany and Southern Ontario and Western Pennsylvania selling out all eight home games. Because he could turn around in 2015 and say, hey, you couldn't do it. I got to make my money back. Toronto doesn't want the freaking series. Why would they? So, hey, here's my built-in excuse. To London we go. And you know what? It's brilliant. That's a smart freaking move by Russ to play games in London. Another move I'd make, if that wouldn't work, why not play a home game in Syracuse? You mean to tell me you can't jack up the price to make up for the cost of having a game? I know, like, what, the Dome's got about forty-five to 50,000 seats. And compared to Ralph Wilson Stadium, that's 20000 less than you'd need for an NFL game. However, that game would sell out because people in Rochester would go, people in Syracuse would go, people in Albany would go. They would all flock to see an NFL game at Syracuse. It would be playing in Doug Marone's home of Syracuse, the place he went to college, the place he coached college football, and tried to resurrect the Syracuse program that was going nowhere with Greg Robinson. It would be the perfect sell. They could jack up the ticket prices to much more than they would spend at the Ralph, and people would pay it because there's not as many seats to buy. Now, you could make the same argument in Toronto. It's different. Toronto is not a Buffalo Bills market. Syracuse is a Buffalo Bills market. You don't have to leave the country, and people from Rochester and Syracuse and Binghamton and Albany would all flock there to go. No problem selling that out. No problems having a home field advantage. If you can make that money back for that home game and bring it to Syracuse, that would be another smart move if Russ Brandon decided to go in that direction. And I know the argument. Toronto's a metropolitan area. It's the fourth largest metropolitan area in all of North America. Unfortunately, they weren't buying the game. Nobody was going. Nobody cared. Nobody in Toronto gave a crap except for Mayor Ford, who wanted to be seen. Nobody gave a crap. In Syracuse, they'd give a crap. In London, it wouldn't matter. Toronto, it matters. The hell with the Toronto series. Bills fans, we got to sell those games out, or else they're going to be playing in London at least once in 2015, and perhaps even Syracuse or somewhere else in 2015, 2016, 2017. The London thing should scare you. Because there's going to be an NFL team playing in London within 20 years. Maybe even sooner than that. Syracuse thing wouldn't scare Bills fans. I think they could live with it. But when you've been coming off a deal where you made $78 million over five years and sent five games to Toronto, when you're coming off that deal, you got to find a way to recoup $78 million. And you got to do it fast. Anybody see the cover of Sports Illustrated this week? It's Pete Rose. It says The Dilemma. It's a book excerpt from this book. And... Kostya Kennedy writes, it's time to rethink Pete Rose. Here's the quote on the front of the article, of the front of the pay, of the Sports Illustrated, which nobody reads anymore. Rose has been banished for in- the incalculable, incalculable damage he might have done to the foundation of the game. Steroid users are reviled for the damage they actually did. I'm going to slam this argument down in one quick minute. You ready? There's a sign in every single locker room, clubhouse, and baseball 
Do not bet on baseball. He was a manager. He did it. He ripped through his bullpens. He screwed up his starting rotations. He played with his freaking lineups. And John Dowd actually could have gone even further, and baseball asked him to stop allegedly. He could have gone even further into his report and said that Rose, to cover his losses, actually could have bet against the Reds. There were games where Mario Soto pitched that he would not bet on the, on the Cincinnati Reds. You want to talk about manipulation? It's the games he didn't bet on, everybody, that cost him, that showed the world, hey, there's something going on here. I'm not saying he turned it into pro wrestling, but the quickest thing you could do in baseball to tur- or any sport to turn your sport into pro wrestling is to bet on it. And every locker room in baseball, every clubhouse has a rule up. It says, don't bet on it. Don't bet on baseball. Rose knew it. He signed an agreement, agreeing to his banishment from baseball. Why? Because he knew for a fact that John Dowd could prove a little bit more than Rose would ever let on. And he hoped, after he signed that agreement with Bart Giamatti in the room, that the Court of Public Appeal would get him out. That Americans would come to his aid. They have. It doesn't matter. Bud Selig has said no. He even wrote a book that people bought. Pete Rose, my story. And he profited off that book and every little autograph signing he showed up for. And he took that money and he gambled it away and did whatever he could with it. And then he comes back 20 years later and writes another book saying, Pete Rose, yeah, I bet I'm baseball. Sorry. Yeah, I did it. I shouldn't have done it. My bad. And now this jackass wants to come out and say, you know, we got to rethink Pete Rose. I don't want to rethink Pete Rose. Yeah, steroids are bad, but nobody takes steroids with the intent to lose. Nobody takes steroids with the intent to get worse. They'll do it to get rich, but they don't take steroids to feed their own addiction. They don't take steroids to affect their teammates unless it's to win. And maybe those other players will follow suit, but it's their bodies they're affecting And if they want to take the chance and use steroids so they can go out and get rich and destroy the records in the process, so be it. Baseball didn't police it, so baseball, therefore, allowed it to happen. The gambling in the clubhouse was not allowed. Rose knew it. It wasn't like it was an unwritten rule. Hey, you can gamble, wink, wink. It's no big deal. No, 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 no. Baseball banned Mickey Mantle from being a part of Major League Baseball because he was so broke at one point in the late 70s, that he actually signed on to endorse Vegas casinos, and baseball wanted nothing to do with him at that point. George Steinbrenner hired a noted gangster named Howard Spear to dig up dirt on Dave Winfield, and he was banished from baseball for two years. Pete Rose? Pete Rose knew what he was getting into, and he signed an agreement saying, yeah, I agree, I'll stay out of baseball. I don't feel bad for Pete Rose at all. If you want to argue that he suffered, he's the he's the greatest player to not get in the Hall of Fame who's who could be eligible. He's all over the Hall of Fame. He's got a shop down the street from the Hall of Fame. Actually, it's actually more worth going to than the actual Hall of Fame itself. Hall of Fame can be pretty boring sometimes. Enough about Pete Rose, enough defending Pete Rose, enough. Enough. Steroids and gambling and baseball are apples and freaking bowling balls. They're not similar. They're not comparable. 
Now you have testing in baseball. Now guys get suspended, and after they get suspended for 50 games or 100 games, guess what? They get to come back, and they still get to play with the residual effects of having used steroids 50 days prior or 100 100 days prior. It's not like you just lose that muscle tone. Yeah, it's illegal now, but you know what? It was accepted, and it was kept quiet and swept under the rug in every locker room and every clubhouse in baseball. The managers knew it. The players knew it. The general managers knew it. They all knew it. The Pete Rose betting on baseball thing, nobody knew about it. It was hush-hush, and it came out, and the Reds were furious, furious, and so was baseball, and they should. That was a no-no. Steroids was a wink-wink no-no. To compare the two is unfair. I'm not saying I advocate steroid use in baseball, but you know what? You're never going to beat that system. But, man, you want to bet on baseball? You could directly outcome and you could directly affect any outcome of any game at any point. Steroid users don't use steroids because they don't want to win. They want to win. They want to perform better. That's why they use it. You cannot make the argument that Pete Rose always bet on his team. You cannot make the argument that because he bet on his team that his he would try to play better because he actually would hurt his players in the process of trying to win that game because he had more riding on it than the game itself. It was called a bet. And you cannot tell me he didn't influence baseball circles by the games he did not bet on. They are not... The same thing. They are not comparable. Pete Rose doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. He's agreed to be banished from baseball. That's where it ends. There's no argument anymore. I always said I could smash it in a minute. Sorry, I went a little longer. I apologize. Guy doesn't belong in baseball. Guy agreed to stay out of baseball. So quit making the Pete Rose argument every time you need to sell a freaking book or a Sports Illustrated article that you don't have any substance for. People have been trying to compare Pete Rose with Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa ever since those guys went to Capitol Hill. It's a failed argument. It doesn't hold water. And now here comes some jackass who wants to write a book about it. There's a reason why nobody's come out with a book like this before. Because it doesn't hold water. The argument sucks. It doesn't match. It doesn't make sense. Stop. LeBron James last night had a poor shooting performance against the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I don't take much stock in the regular season in the NBA. I take enough stock in the fact that you win enough games, obviously you'll be a one seed to an eight seed and you'll make the playoffs. Obviously you have to do that. But more than half the teams in the NBA make the playoffs anyway. That's why guys like Dwayne Wake could take every other night off. That's why guys like Kevin Garnett don't have to make road trips. That's why guys like on the Spurs, like Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, missed a road trip against the Miami Heat the same year that they played the Heat in the NBA Finals. Why? Because Greg Popovich, their head coach, thought his players needed a rest. Why put him through a hellish game against a team in another conference when you already know you're going to make the playoffs and they can use all the rest they can? That's a smart idea. Why? He's not incentivized to have to have his team win every single night because the NBA doesn't do that. More than half the teams make the playoffs, so you can take nights off in the NBA. Well, last night, LeBron James had an off night. He didn't take a night off. He had an off night. And it was against the same San Antonio Spurs. Only... He did something that Michael Jordan would never do. Now, I'm not a big Jordan guy. I've never been a big NBA guy. I know people love Jordan and hold Jordan up to a certain esteem, and he is the greatest basketball player of all time. Is he the greatest athlete in American sports history? I don't know. A guy like Ali might have an argument against that. A guy named Babe Ruth might have an argument against that. 
Jim Thorpe might even have an argument against that. Is he the biggest sports icon in American history? Maybe. He very well could be. Was he the greatest at basketball? That we know. Absolutely. No question. But the the thing you never heard Jordan do was make an excuse. And last night, LeBron James had an excuse. He blamed the sleeved jerseys for his poor shooting performance. Not to make an excuse, but the sleeves are killing me. I'm paraphrasing. But he did throw the he did throw in the words not to make an excuse, but the sleeves are killing me. Now, he wasn't the only player wearing sleeves last night in that game. And the Spurs went ahead and won that game. Well, I know that LeBron's a beast, and I know the NBA wants to sell jerseys and hypocritically won't let LeBron wear the certain mask that he wants. It's got to be NBA approved, even though they sell like 20 different jerseys for every NBA team and shoes to match. I like LeBron James. Guy's never in trouble. He always plays hard. He's finally won his championships. He gets a lot of flack for the decision. I think it was ill-advised. you got to remember, he made that, quote, decision at 26 years old. It wasn't like he was a seasoned veteran who is the second or third guy on an NBA team who decided to hold a press conference. No, no, no. This guy's got yes people. He's got people like Maverick Carter whispering in his ear, hey, why don't you do this? So he does it at the Boys and Girls Club in Connecticut, not far from New York City, to try to make it uh, make it look nice. And they bring in Jim Gray to do the interview, and he says, I want to take my talent to South Beach. If you just sign with the Heat, it will be no big deal. I mean, people in Cleveland would be rioting. But since he decided to put it on national television, ESPN got its paws on it and made it a nationally broadcast segment. That's why people hate LeBron. But he got his come up into the following season when he lost to the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA Finals. But he got his two championships, and he's got a gold medal, and he's on his way to arguably becoming the greatest player in NBA history. But he'll never be Michael Jordan. Now, I'm not saying he won't be a better player than Jordan, but he won't be Michael Jordan, the icon, because Michael Jordan never had an excuse for a poor performance. Michael Jordan would be harder on his own teammates and even harder on himself. If his team lost and played poorly, he'd tell you so but he wouldn't make an excuse for it. LeBron James is still making excuses, and that's a sign of insecurity. That's a sign of a guy who still is worried about what people think about him. And unfortunately, it's a sign that he's surrounded by a lot of people who want to tell him what he wants to hear. LeBron, here's my advice to you. Cut the fat, get rid of the excuses. Win or lose. If you win, win graciously. If you lose, lose even more graciously. You don't need the excuses. You're better than that. You're going to be the MVP of the NBA. Earlier this week, you dropped 61. 60 freaking one points. You're the best in basketball. You're the best basketball player in the world right now. There's nobody even close, not even Kevin Durant. You don't need to make excuses. We know how good you are. Especially when the guy who everybody likes to compare you to has never made an excuse for an off night. This is the Dan and Peter Show. Thank you for joining us today. Eventually, Peter will be back. Don't worry, we haven't fired him, or he hasn't fired me. Let's put it that way. Thank you for listening to the Dan and Peter Show right here on SoundCloud and on iTunes. We'll catch you soon.